Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Before I begin today's episode, I wanted to ask for your help with something. If you listen on iTunes, you've probably seen their list of podcasts designated as COVID-19 essential listening. I've reached out to Apple to ask them to include Shelter in Place on that list, but I need your help. If you could take a moment to go to iTunes, rate Shelter in Place, and write a quick review of what you like about the show, I would be so grateful. One of the things that's been so interesting to me in this time of sheltering in place is having to reimagine my life in a way that I probably haven't done since I was a teenager. So many of the previous non-negotiables are suddenly up for discussion. Our family isn't just rethinking what we're trying to accomplish each day, but dreaming of what our future life could look like after COVID-19. This includes our finances. We went into this time with some savings, so things aren't dire yet, but every day we're puzzling together new possible sources of income. Whether it's pivoting our current actual business or even just rethinking how we manage our family life and our home, so many of us right now are being called to step into a role that is totally new for us. In a way, we're becoming entrepreneurs. We're pushing aside the previous business of life and coming up with a plan for a new one. So on today's Story Saturday, I want to introduce to you a good friend of mine who might be able to help us out. My name is Laura Park Figueroa. I am a pediatric occupational therapist. I always feel like I need to explain what that is because no one knows what occupational therapists do. So the way I describe it is we help people do the things that they need or want to do in their daily lives, the things that occupy their time. So occupation means anything that occupies your time. With kids, that's play, social skills, being at school, being a student, things like that. Laura is the friend that I mentioned in the episode I did about my time backpacking on the John Muir Trail. That was episode 27 if you missed it. Laura is one of those incredible people who has used her own success as an opportunity to help others succeed, too. I'm not an occupational therapist, but I've learned so much from her over the years. Especially right now, when so much in our life is uncertain, I can really use that guidance. I asked Laura to share with us about her journey as an entrepreneur, and also about her life since COVID-19. I started my own business about five years ago, so I've been an OT for... 20 years, and I started my own business five years ago called Outdoor Kids OT. And it's a different way of practicing OT where we work with children outdoors in small groups. Everything happens outside in nature. I created an approach called the Contigo Approach, Connection and Transformation in the Great Outdoors. And it's an approach to help pediatric therapists of all backgrounds, not just OTs, but physical therapists, speech therapists, counselors. It's an approach to help them know how to take their work with children outdoors into nature, outside of the clinic walls in which we normally work or the school walls in which we normally work. Laura wrote a book about the Contigo approach, and part of her work has been training other therapists so they can use the Contigo approach in their own practices. Oh, and I'm a PhD student too. I'm, I'm studying nature-based occupational therapy in my PhD program to do research on this model too, because I really believe in things being evidence-based in our field and using research to inform what we do. Oh, and I'm also a business coach for OTs. (laughs) I have a podcast. 
about the podcast, Laura. In case you um, have enough going on already. Laura's podcast, Mind Your OT Business, is what gave me the idea for this episode. Even though the podcast is geared toward OTs, there is so much good advice there for all of us. Laura is incredibly transparent about her process of becoming a business owner, and I've learned so much from her about how to get more organized in my work, how to market myself well, and even how to handle finances. A lot of the way I approach my life as an artist today has come straight from the lessons I learned in her podcast. Laura is doing a lot, but she says her work doesn't feel like a burden. There's a lot of talk about, can you ever achieve true balance? I'm like, well, it's always a juggling act, right? But it's, it's about staying true to what is right for you in yeah. your life and creating the life that you want. And that's, that's ultimately what OTs do. We help people create the lives that they want by looking at all of the different factors in their lives. So the, the podcast is really about that, like taking the mind of an OT and kind of applying it to business. But the thing is, like, all of this stuff I'm doing, it, it doesn't feel heavy to me. You know, it feels really light and fun and like everything feeds everything else. Like my PhD program feeds the work I do in my business. My, my entrepreneurship interest feeds leading my private practice. My private practice feeds training other therapists and the approach. You know, it all kind of is this, this flow. I, I talk about it like finding flow, finding these things that you love to do and and layering them so that they all kind of are helping you live that life that you really want to be living. Like you're living in alignment with your passions and the things that you love to do. I really appreciate this perspective. All my life, I've wished that I had about 10 lives to pursue all the things that I enjoy. I've gotten better at managing my time as I've gotten older, and I've said no to a lot because I've realized that you can't do it all. But Laura isn't talking about heaping more activities on top of an already busy existence. She's advocating for figuring out how the different pieces of your life work together so one activity or passion supports the next. I think that's ultimately what I've been longing for during this time, what I've been wanting for years. Laura and her work are about as close to work-life balance as I've ever seen, but it's taken her a long time to get to that place. For me personally, it goes back to my family upbringing and how I was raised. I was not told to try to achieve things. I was not encouraged to set high goals for myself. I was encouraged to be mediocre, to kind of just do your work, go home, live your life. I had to kind of get to middle life and get to a point in my career where I really wanted more than that. And I was really dissatisfied with the way things were to kind of snap me out of that and realize that wow, this is like a mindset issue, really. Like the entrepreneurial way of life is a mindset. And I think the more that you kind of take small steps into that lifestyle, the, the more you see how much you're actually capable of. So I worked as an employee for many, many years, for 15 years. I mean, for 10 years, I worked in a school district as an employee, you know, just getting a paycheck and, and coming home. But the, the thing that is hard is that in a, in a lot of employee situations, especially as an OT, because it's a health profession, right? We're not able to practice truly holistically, like how we want to practice. We're dictated by what's going to get paid for by insurance. You know, what will Medicaid or Medicare pay for? If that's who you're billing for your service. 
what will the school district say is okay to work on in the schools, in the hospital? What will the hospital say is okay to work on as an OT? So there's all these barriers, I think, that get put in the way of an occupational therapist, and maybe lots of people too, as employees. You you can't really practice or do your work in a way that is driven by your own internal values in the same way that you can when you're creating your own business and doing your own thing. But until I, until I found this passion of connecting nature with my work with children as an occupational therapist, I didn't think like an entrepreneur. Of all of the words I have used to describe myself, entrepreneur isn't one of them. I've always been a little awed by the entrepreneurs in my life. The idea of starting from scratch and building a whole life on an idea that needs to be fully realized enough to support you financially is a little terrifying. Our COVID-19 life has forced me to change. For decades, I've done my work behind closed doors, just kind of putting my head down and getting the writing done. I'd send work out when I had something, but even in the rare instances when that writing was accepted, the money I got paid for it, if I got paid at all, was a drop in the bucket. I kept doing it because it's important to me to put work out into the world that matters to me. But it wasn't paying my bills. My situation isn't all that unusual. There are a lot of artists out there doing great work, but it's tough to get paid for it, and it's extremely competitive. Even if you're not an entrepreneur, having the mindset of thinking how you can be creative, how you can adapt, how you can change how it's okay if things change, like maybe they're going to be better. You know, maybe it's a chance for things to really, new solutions to come up, new, new solutions to problems that have been there for a long time that maybe you've been ignoring. Maybe this is an opportunity to think like an entrepreneur and kind of have that creative mindset of how we're going to adapt to these new roles in our lives in a, in a way that's healthy and that allows for us as humans to flourish. Laura's work has helped me to rethink my current life and take a long view on my writing, to dream up ways to support myself that stay true to my values. Every good business solves a problem. I think there's a way to be authentic, have your own values, and match that to what your ideal customer needs or wants. Art is meeting a need. We need art right now in the world a lot, like, like especially with COVID-19. We need beauty and joy and emotion. You know, we need all those things right now because there's so much negativity, really. But I think it's hard for artists a lot of times to think about their work as a business. And if you're going to make money from anything, if you want to move something from being a hobby to being a business, you have to think about the ideal customer that you want to serve. Who is the ideal person you want to work with? You have to get inside their head. You have to speak their language and you have to meet a very real problem that they have. When COVID-19 turned our world upside down, Laura and her business were more prepared than most. they had worked hard to manage their finances well and they had some savings, but that didn't mean they were off the hook. It's a nature based model. The parents are enrolling their kids for communication with other children in nature. It's the opposite of technology, okay? <laughs> so we had this, you know, kind of a week of like really uncertainty on my end as the business owner of wanting to lead my staff really well and and be calm and present for them, but also kind of on the back end feeling like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? What is going to happen to the business? But I am so proud of 
the team at my practice because basically what happened is we went through this process of holy shnikes, how are we going to do this like transfer to online because there's a lot of noise in the online space when all of this coronavirus stuff started rolling out, all these different announcements, schools closing, all of that. And we were panicking a little bit until we realized that we don't need to do what everyone else is doing in the therapy world. Everyone else in the therapy world was just like, let's just jump into telehealth where we do Zoom calls on our computer with the child or whatever. And our model didn't transfer really well to that. So we did a lot of communication with families about just sharing with them where we were at in the process of thinking about what we were going to offer. We went through a period where maybe we were going to do classes for kids, like just for any kids, not therapy, but just fun classes to keep kids entertained. But that fell a little flat when I actually did some analysis of what that would require and also didn't feel in alignment with our values as a business. But going through that process helped me see that what would be in alignment with our values is creating content for therapists. Laura has pivoted her business to focus on putting affordable content into affordable online formats, content that can help others as they navigate this uncertain time in their own businesses. She's also been able to transfer some of her business's therapy groups online, and her therapists are going above and beyond to make sure that these experiences are meaningful for the parents and the children. Laura has worked for years to make her business secure, to manage her finances well, but even careful planning can't predict an uncertain future. It's been a crazy wild ride and I've gone through, it's like roller coaster, you know, feeling like, okay, we might do this. Okay, no, that's not a good idea. Okay, let's do this. Okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. But it's just feels, still feels very uncertain. You know, we've just had schools closed through the end of the year. So now I know we're going to have no groups meeting outdoors until June and we might even have to cancel camp, which is going to be thousands of dollars of lost income. So it's really unprecedented. It's just crazy. I think there's a lot of talk in the entrepreneurship space too about, is it okay to sell right now? You know, like, is it okay to sell your services right now? Or is that just gross and wrong? You know? Like, yeah. And I just, I just think that's ludicrous. I think if you're meeting a need, no, it's not wrong to sell your services. If you're meeting a need for a customer that has a need, it's not wrong to sell. I think we should be continuing to value the entrepreneurs who are finding ways to generate revenue for our economy during this time. That's what we all need. We need our economy to be healthy for us all to be back and our businesses to be thriving again. So I don't think it's wrong to sell right now at all. Laura's experience and advice has given me a lot to think about, and it's informed the conversations my husband and I are having right now. But there's another reason I was eager to talk with Laura. She isn't just a business owner. She's a mom of three kids, two of whom are teenagers. They've gotten a little mad at us at some points because my husband and I both are telling them, like, do something productive with your time. You know, like, you don't need to be on social media all day long. You can do things with this time. You can read. You can learn. You could figure out how to monetize your big old following on social media. That's what I was trying to get them to be entrepreneurial. And I had a moment where I was like, okay, wait a second. Wait a second. If I was a teenager right now, would I have been using this time to create a business or to like read a book, maybe read a book I might have, I love to read, but like, I probably would have been vegging out too. So I, it was just some perspective for me to be like, put yourself in your child's shoes. Think about when you were that age, 
our expectations for our kids just so ridiculously high because we're thinking like an adult and putting those expectations on a teenager. And for me, that was a, a big moment where it kind of let me give a little grace to my kids and just say, okay, let's just take a deep breath here. And that's been kind of the, the theme for me has been grace, like just giving myself grace as a mom to, to not, I am a person that loves efficiency. I mean, when you hear how much I do, I love productivity. I love efficiency and I cannot handle it when people are not efficient and productive, which is essentially the opposite of this whole situation. Laura has a younger kid too, who is friends with my son, Gabe. I asked her how she was managing to work while also homeschooling a nine-year-old. She said each morning while she's making coffee, they sit down together and he writes in his journal a list of things he needs to do that day. So we spend 10 minutes. I mean, maybe not even sometimes. Sometimes it's like read, do two math pages, look on Google Classroom and pick something to do and play outside. You know, like it's very, build something, do a puzzle, something very, very simple, but it's a checklist for him. And we write it out every day together. Once Ray has his checklist, she starts working. It helps that he has other eyes on him, her husband and her two teenagers, but giving him some autonomy means that he has to take responsibility for his work. If he gets done early, he can play or do art with his sister or learn skateboard tricks from his brother. I would strongly caution parents against feeling like you need to overschedule your child's time during this time. We live in a world that is so flippin' overscheduled and busy. It's crazy what we put our kids through on a daily basis in regular life without the coronavirus. And it's like I said earlier, like this is a chance to kind of reset and see what life can be like with some unstructured time. Unstructured time is good for kids. They, they learn how to be bored. They learn to think creatively once they have that unstructured time. The best creative ideas come from unstructured time. They don't come when we're trying to like sit and force ourselves to come up with an uh, a creative idea. You know, there was this big rainbow schedule. Every parent has probably seen it. It was all over social media. The COVID-19 daily schedule is like this rainbow schedule with like a transition every hour of different things you were supposed to do with your kid. And I'm sorry, but like if you homeschool, yes, you might need a very consistent daily schedule for your child. And yes, kids do thrive on consistency. I'm not denying that. But what I didn't like about that schedule was that it laid a heavy, heavy burden on parents who were already so overwhelmed when really what they needed to do was just be hugging their kid, eating dinner together, reading a book on the couch, and just trying to get through the best way they could. And they did not need a list of 15 different transitions. Transitions are not good for kids. They most kids don't like a lot of transitions. They need to get in the flow, right, of learning or doing whatever they're doing. So I just went off on social media. I, I got a bunch of posts on Instagram about how, why I disagreed with it. And I just encourage people not to overschedule. A loose schedule is good. Consistency is good. But don't feel like you need a strict routine for your child during this time um, because it puts a burden on us that that is just it's not grace. If parents are listening to this and you have not read The Gift of Failure, that is a gift during this time to read The Gift of Failure. Laura gives her kids a lot of freedom. She checks in and asks questions. She lets them know that she supports them and she's there for them. But she doesn't hound them about whether or not they're checking off their lists. But she's also quick to note that she remembers what it was like when her kids were young. She has a lot of freedom now that people with young kids don't. 
I used to hate when I was in a grocery store with my older two, Lucas and Adela, when they were really little. So I'd be in a grocery store with them and just, you know, about to lose my mind because they're just driving me nuts. They're two and one or whatever. (laughs) And some little old lady would say to me like, oh, honey, those years are going to go by so fast. Just enjoy it while you're there. And I'd just be like, you know, like, no, don't say that to me. I'm so stressed out right now. And now I'm the little old lady telling all my friends with young kids that those days go by so fast so fast. Like in a couple years, it it happens where they become so much more independent. And I think when you have very young children, taking note of those really special moments that are never going to happen again is really important. It, It helps you stay connected with them and just take joy in the really small things that they do that are so sweet. And along, you know, as the opposite of that, you also need to really take care of yourself. So, you know, knowing that you have this time to this time to work and not be with them at all. And then when you're with them, like actually be with them, you know, rather than trying to like be on your phone to answer an email or whatever. Um, and I know that's really hard. It's advice that's easy to say and really hard to, to do in practice. There's a story Laura tells a lot about when her daughter was six years old. She was crying about something that I felt like as an adult was just a completely illegitimate thing to cry about and throwing a fit and just losing her mind and melting down. And when kids are in that space, they cannot think. You know, they're in that, that lower brain, the subconscious brain, the, the impulsive, reactive brain that shuts down your frontal lobe and you can't think when you are that upset. But I just wanted to be like, think this through. This is silly that you are crying about this or whatever. And I must have said something of the sort to her, like a, you know, all-knowing adult. And she wrote on a scrap of paper, a big heart, and inside of it, it said, Mommy, I love you, Mommy. And then in big letters on the page, it said, Mommy, kids half, H-A-F, to cry when they nid, N-I-D, need to cry. And she gave it to me like as a note. And I just, you know, like any mom would do, you just start crying, you know, <laughs> like, because it's, it's like such, it's such truth from like the mouth of a six-year-old. Kids have to cry when they need to cry. Yeah. And we have to remember that our kids are kids. They're, they're tiny little kids during this time. And we have to be their executive function, their, their frontal lobe, their thinking brain, really until they're 25. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I love that story because it's just such a, it's like a kid telling us adults what we need to know. And I tell everyone that has children about it. And I recently took the, I have the paper still, I keep it in my living room because I, I use it as a reminder of how I want to be with my kids. I've been drawing a lot from Laura's advice this past month. It's been good to sit in the balance, both of pushing myself to think differently about my life, while also giving myself permission to not have it all together. Really give yourself grace with the screen time, with every, which is crazy because I'm a nature-based OT. I'm like, kids shouldn't be on screens, you know, but, but really grace. We all need grace during this time. We all need to be gentle with ourselves, to let go of our expectations for high efficiency, productivity, and this is 
the pot calling the kettle black because I am the worst at this, but we got to let go of that stuff right now and focus on being together. And that has been for me, I, I could cry, honestly, <laughs> like, I think our family needed coronavirus. I mean, it really like for my husband and I both, like we've been saying to each other, like, not that it hasn't been hard at points, of course, but we've been like, who knew we just needed some forced togetherness to like get along better because the stripping away of, of all of the extra, the stripping away of the, can I borrow the car? Can I go to so-and-so's house? I have to be at this practice. I need to go here. We gotta, okay, who's using the car when? We have one car five people, three drivers. All of that being stripped away, all of the busyness being stripped away. I wonder if in many ways this, for some families, may be the reset that we need to really think about what's important in our lives and to to have some time to really connect with one another. Before I end today's episode, I want to share some exciting news. The podcast out there has included my shelter-in-place episode on community, that's episode nine if you missed it, on their Spotify list that they put together to help listeners through this time of social distancing. The list is called Hopeful Hues, and you can find it on Spotify. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, I would love it if you could rate it and review it wherever you listen, share it with a friend, and subscribe. Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. Even in these tough times, this family business has stepped up to be the first sponsor of Shelter in Place. When you order wine from brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code SHELTER. If you order six or more bottles from Brick and Mortar, you'll also get free shipping and overnight shipping in California. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. You can find links to the things I mentioned in each episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. I'll keep putting out episodes of Shelter in Place every weekday and Saturday, but I'll be taking Sundays off because we can all use a Sabbath. Until Monday, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.